0: okay welcome ladies and gentlemen to the we're having a good time podcast my name is dusty slay and i'm here with my wife and co-host hannah slay
1: you're looking sharp dusty thank you
0: thank you i have my uh predator's jersey on uh, I um, I got this years ago when I did a corporate event for the Preds, uh, the hockey team here in here in Nashville. I did a corporate event for them uh, where I went out uh, uh, and did a show in Bridgestone for just like donors and things like that. And it was a lot of people, but it was just on the floor on on the where the ice would be. We were down there, and uh, I think. Uh, of of Nate Land alum. I think Nate has done that show in the past and I think Aaron Weber did it after me. Um, And it can be a tough show, but you went. Yeah. It was fun and they gave me this jersey Mm -hmm. with my name on the back. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just this Tuesday, we went to a Preds game. We were invited to go as part of a promo thing for the Netflix special. And me and you went and we took Daisy and we got some box seats and we got another jersey with my name on it. Well, and your name, Slay is on the back. And then... um, I got to do an interview with Bally Sports. I did a little at-the-desk interview, which you can find on Twitter. I should get it off of there and try to share it on my Instagram. Uh, you know. Uh, and then I did the thing where I wind up the the fan siren. It's to get the fans all fired up. But I was watching the video and looking out at the crowd, and no one seemed to be fired up about it. I didn't really seem to get them amped, but, you know, when I was, do, I was asking instructions about the thing, I go, which way do I wind it, you know, to make the noise, and she goes, either way, will will make it work, and she said, you know, your first couple uh, uh, may have to get it going, so I said, okay. And so when they were like, all right, go, I start winding it, and I'm really winding it, and it's not going. Mm. So I had to change course and go the other way, and it it started winding. But it's like, you make me look like an idiot out here. Or just
1: funny, you know, when you're a comedian doing something funny. You know, everybody probably just thought it was a bit.
0: Yeah, but I don't like bits like that.
1: You don't like being foolish.
0: Yeah, I don't like it feels like that's always what they want a comedian to be. It's some kind of fool, like some kind of idiot out here. And I'm like, nah, I'm not the idiot. I'm calling out the idiocy of the world here. Mm -hmm. I'm not the idiot.
1: So back in the time of kings and queens, you would not have been the court jester.
0: Well, I I I think that in a way the court jester has been that's uh, been misconstrued. I feel like even the court jester was making fun of things going on in the kingdom. Yeah, he was. Like they would say he was the only one allowed to make fun of the king.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm like, even then, it's like you're not the idiot; you're calling out the stupid things.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's
0: what I think. Yeah. And this whole idea of everybody else being so smart, and the comedian or the clown being the fool, I think is a real, um, a real mistake.
1: Mm. Well, you know, self-deprecation—I'm sure—was involved with some of the court gestures. Um, talent or repertoire
0: yeah you know and I'm down with a little Mm self-dep I'm down with making fun of myself enough to be like hey we're all in this together sort of thing you know where it's like I'm not saying only this person's the idiot but I'm also not saying I'm the idiot
1: so do you resent the sort of popular phenotype of the bumbling dad say per homer simpson
0: oh yeah i mean homer simpson um actually most all tv dads Mm. i'm against uh i feel like a lot of them treat their wives bad like an al bundy sort of situation i grew up watching married with children he treats his family really bad Mm. Uh, And he, you know, tries to play it off like I treat my family bad because, you know, my life sucks because I was a, you know, a, a great high school quarterback and now I sell shoes for a living. But it's like, that's not your family's fault, And weirdly, on that show, they always treated Peggy like—he always treated Peggy like she was really unattractive, but I always thought Peggy was very attractive.
1: Yeah, whose wife is dressed like that Yeah, day to day? (laughs) Yeah. That girl's getting up spending three hours on her hair at least. Yeah. And she's got a banging bod. Yeah. I mean— I'm so, I, I feel like I need to give you a little bit more Peggy energy. Well, I just
0: always thought that was weird. And also, there was another show, kind of like Married with Children. It was called Unhappily Ever After, I think, where it had, um, um you know, Bobcat Goldthwait was like a puppet. Mm-hmm. And then they had this girl on the Nikki Cox, I think was her name. She was married to Bobcat and I think left him for... Uh, another comedian.
1: The guy that stole jokes on SNL?
0: Uh, I don't know guy? about that. The blonde guy, he was in yeah. Jerry Maguire.
1: Yes, that's uh, who I'm thinking of. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and um, but I didn't watch that show a lot, but I know on that show, they all the actors would always make it seem like Nikki Cox was really unattractive. Oh, okay. And I was like, well, that's a weird move, mm-hmm. and I don't know why they're doing that. But anyway, back to... Just bad dads. Homer Simpson, uh, the worst kind of dad. Uh, Peter Griffin, the worst kind of dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many of these dads are like this. You you miss the Carl Winslows, the mm. uh, the uh, Tim Allen. Uh, you know, I think if you go back and watch Tim Allen, he's a little rude to his wife, but I think overall a good dad. Yeah. Um,
1: He's got enough arrogance that he kind of elevates the bumbling dad a little bit.
0: Uh, You know, you would say, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, if certain things had not come to light, you would obviously highlight Bill Cosby in this. Oh, yeah. What a great TV dad. Uh, Uncle Phil
1: was a great TV dad. Yes. Um, The first Vivian, a great mom. Yeah. But we'll stay on dad's. Um, Yeah, I mean, and I think so much so that, that this whole sort of I'm a dumb dad guy has sort of trickled into the to the consciousness, collective consciousness enough that it kind of becomes the default of just men out here. Like when they're trying to do a cheesy joke or act a certain way, they'll be like, oh, I don't even know how this works. And it's like, yeah, but you do. And you do I, know how it works. Well,
0: and I think that's it is weird that like that's happened to us. Um, you know, Patrick Duffy in Step by Step, I thought was a good dad, mm-hmm. but it's like um, you know they they it has come into to uh, affect us in a way that it's like, yeah, we do act like men are dumb, and I just think it's weird. I don't think either of the parents should be dumb like obviously people are going to be dumb sometimes yeah but i think
1: but usually they don't know they're dumb
0: but i think the parents both parents uh you know play play an important role in raising the kids and neither of them should be playing a dumb character
1: right yeah yeah it's always so weird to me when uh like there's a per- like a comedian with a persona on stage and then it's just oddly very opposite off stage i won't name who it was but one time i worked with a guy backstage in the green room very philosophical dropping a lot of 19th century authors really holding his own on a philosophical level in conversation with me goes up on stage does fart jokes oh god about as hacky as you could become and i'm like who are you? Dang, I wish I knew that. Tell me off the podcast. Yeah, I will. I'm like, dude. Like, you you have so much depth as a person. You, you're you're one of the deepest thinkers that I've encountered in a green room. And then you go on stage and are the equivalent of, you know, uh, bathroom humor. It's bizarre. Yeah, it was truly bizarre.
0: Yeah. Well, just um, back to the the Preds, though. Yeah, uh, I want to say we had a lot of fun there. It was we, we were very excited that they they let us come to the game, and it was Daisy's first hockey game, and Daisy oh. really had a blast.
1: She loved it. Yeah, she loved it.
0: She, I mean, there was, you know, uh, you know, we were fortunate they gave us some box seats, and you know, so she got some chicken fingers, she got some cake, some ice cream, some popcorn. I
1: brought a bag of Cheerios.
0: All things that we don't really give her, especially not all at once. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she got really treated well.
1: It's such a fun place for kids to go, the arena, and I forgot. But you know that there's the jumbotron, right? and every thirty seconds they're cutting to people in the stadium in the arena, and it's a lot of kids just fired up, screaming, pounding their chests, like, oh yeah, it's so cute to watch how fired up they get because what I realized and Daisy got like this too, is you can just scream so loud oh, in the yeah. an arena, and everybody else is screaming. And I mean, when are children ever encouraged to scream like that? And you could just see it in these little people's energy and faces. They were just having a ball. And it was great. Yeah,
0: you know, and um, I was there to do things. So during the intermission, I would have to go do things. But, um, you know, in the first period or first quarter, I don't know what they call it. First period, I think. There was, I'm not much of a hockey guy, right? I don't, I never watched it growing up. I don't follow it. I've been to a few Preds games though. It is really fun to go. And in this game, in the first period, we had two scores by the Preds and a fight, gloves off fight. Yeah. I was like, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Now, how do you feel watching hockey? Do you know what to do with yourself while you're watching it?
0: well i don't really understand a lot of the rules like penalties you know and i would if i you know probably just i don't know read one list of the rules i could probably get it uh but yeah hockey's a little hard to follow for me the puck's small um and you know i i I always liked about football that you do a play and then you reset and then you do a play, and then you reset. I like that, it's a, a, I find football a little faster than baseball, but hockey's a little more like basketball for me, where it's just like, you just, you're just you just going the whole time. It's like soccer, basketball, hockey, it's like, there's no start and stopping.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and a lot of people like that, they like that nonstop action, but I like a reset and let's do it again.
1: What about the energy of being in a cold, semi-cold arena?
0: Well, I've always said this. um, To me, except for football, all sports are best live. Mm -hmm. All sporting events are best live. Football, on the other hand, is made for TV, in my opinion. It's so good on TV. Mm -hmm. But whereas every other sport, I might not be into it. I mean, I like tennis if I'm live live. Oh yeah. I mean, tennis, like you really see how hard they work it. Yeah. Way back my first trip to New York city in 2008 or nine, I believe. I, I don't know, maybe even 10. It doesn't matter. Uh, I went to the U S open. What? With some friends. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, 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 Nadal play Rafael Nadal. Okay. One of the Williams sisters back then. I don't know if it was Venus or Serena, uh, but it was really great. I loved it. I was like, wow, tennis is awesome. Yeah. But on TV, I could, I can do without.
1: Yeah. And so while you were watching the hockey game, and how did you feel about watching people on the skates? Do you ever just stop to think about how do they even do that?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me that people can even skate. Yeah. I mean, roller skating, I was never very good at. Um, I never tried rollerblading. Um And I was not good at a skateboard. And then just to think that people are just on these skates out there, just getting it. And then to also uh, uh, do that while hitting each other pretty violently. And then they have a stick where they're, you know, hitting the other than the golf ball, maybe the smallest, you know, quote unquote ball type thing in all of sports. And this little black thing is moving across the ice, r- little rubber puck, very hard, and then just slapping at each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you know, obviously it can get deadly. I mean, recently a guy high kicked another guy with his skate on and cut his throat.
1: Yeah, that was malicious, though. That
0: was, that was homicidal. It was awful. And I hope that guy did go to jail. A lot of people were trying to defend it saying, well, obviously he didn't mean to kill the guy. And it's like, yeah, but he has a razor blade on his shoe and he kicked the guy's neck. Yeah. Uh, I've I never seen that. I don't even watch a lot of hockey, but uh, I don't think. Did it's,
1: you see it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't look that oh, that's up. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, I'm not looking that up though. I, I think I got the gist of it just by being explained. Yeah. It's really awful. Yes. Yeah, that's horrendous. But uh, There's two sports that I
0: don't really, I'm not really into, but I am most impressed by, and that is soccer and hockey. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's like soccer, just the sheer stamina of these men to run up and down this field the whole time is unbelievable. And then hockey, to be able to do all the things you do while also being on skates, pretty unbelievable.
1: Are we ever going to get you on skates? I don't think so ice skates.
0: No, I don't think so. Why is that? Well, I don't um I don't have a real desire to be doing it first off. And uh and then I'm like, well, it's dangerous and there's a learning curve and I have you know, so there's those two things, it's dangerous and there's a learning curve for something that I don't really have a desire to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like I'd love to know how to play the guitar, but I don't do it. Yeah. So, with skating, it's like I'm not like I'd love to skate.
1: It's so fun though.
0: Yeah, but I'm not all that into fun.
1: Oh, you're not into fun? Nah. Oh, okay. Well, you married the wrong woman.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I enjoy fun to me is like a good conversation and laughing about some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. That's fun to me. Okay. But I'm always like, I know you
1: like to do things, Dusty, though. You do like to do things. One of the things I like about you is you're always kind of like, let's go to Lowe's. And I never in my yeah. life would have thought going to Lowe's would be a fun event or the highlight of a day. But when I go to Lowe's with you, we have a blast. We do have a blast.
0: Well, I like building things and I like projects. Yeah. yeah. I like getting into stuff. I. Repotted some plants. Oh, and I got my cuttings. So I have, I did cuttings. I think I talked about this, but I cut some, some, you know, kind of limbs from my, my grandfather's pear tree, from his fig tree that had to be all planted before 1966. And I got the walnut tree, I think, uh, dried up, but I got the pecan tree and I got some of my mom's fig bushes and uh, some grapevines that I grew last year just to see if I could grow more. And I I did this whole thing. I've been watching videos about it, you know, and it's like you leave it in the fridge in the crisper for a while and they all seemed good. So you kind of shave off the end, you add a little root hormone in there, and then you stick them down in some seed starting uh soil and then you cover it up with a plastic bag to trap in moisture for about a week and then uh you know and then you know it should grow its own roots and then uh then you'll have your own trees from that from those cuttings so that's what i'm hoping to do really get some figs going get some get some pears going and next week we're going to go out to the cabin and check on our trees I got a guy that's going to come out. I've inquired, the same guy that built our fence. I'm going to ask him about building some cages around all our trees. I want to do it myself, but it's just extremely time consuming. And I just don't have the time to get out there and build the cages, but I need to get them protected. So I'm going to have to hire out to get it done. Um, But we got a bunch of trees out there. We got pecan trees and walnut trees. And so it's all very exciting. I love these sorts of projects. Yeah. There is a learning curve with these two, but it's not a dangerous learning curve.
1: Yeah. Now we were discussing something I read recently about the bridge of asses and about yeah, learning. Yeah, which is
0: a really weird name. Maybe you should kind of break into that a little bit.
1: Okay. Let me see if I can explain it um, concisely. So I read that when one is learning something, a craft, a hobby, a sport, or trying to improve upon themselves in some kind of specific way, um, what separates amateurs or a hobbyist to someone that levels up and becomes somewhat of an expert um, or someone that specializes in something is if you're able to get over that learning curve, that hump. Right. So, for example, in stand up, if you're unable to get over the learning curve to level up and be great. The
0: learning curve is is a they the term they use is called the bridge of assets. Right. Right. Okay.
1: so with stand up. So if so once so say you've been doing stand up for two or three years and you cannot get out of the open mic scene. One would say you've been unable to cross over the bridge of asses because you're still stuck in that first stage, right? Or let's say you are a coder, you're an internet guy, you're a a computer guy, and you're coding and you're trying to learn how to code, but you cannot figure out this meticulous work of trying to understand how a computer works, right? You cannot cross over that bridge of asses into that next level of learning where working with a computer becomes just a little bit, but increasingly more intuitive. And that's what they call when you cross the bridge of asses and you get to that next level of understanding and expertise and ability, you start to develop what's called mechanical sympathy, And mechanical sympathy is when you intuitively understand your craft so that it's somewhat subconscious the way you can approach it or understand things. Like great doctors would have mechanical sympathy when working with patients because the patient can present themselves to the doctor, tell them their symptoms and the doctor's instincts along with their built up knowledge and time spent as a doctor can let them know what they need to do intuitively. Or a great stand-up comedian has been doing it crossed over the bridge of asses into mechanical sympathies so that they know when a great joke lands on them and how to present the joke and how to write the joke and put it together on stage, right. So you want to get to that level of mechanical sympathy where you are like one with your craft.
0: Yeah, and I was saying to Hannah very well, very well done. Thank you. And I was saying to Hannah, uh, you know, I grew up around a lot of storytellers, a lot of, around a lot of joke tellers. I learned a couple of street jokes when I was very young uh, that I was able to tell and able to make people laugh. And I would tell these, you know, I would learn more and more street jokes as it went along, and I was very good at telling them. So, I would say my very first time doing stand up comedy, I was very good at telling the jokes but so that never was really an issue for me what was an issue was writing material i could not write material on my own for a long time i would seek out the help of one of my friends john brennan for a long time i was always going to john brennan i'm like let's write some jokes let's write some jokes And I would have some stories written out, and John would help me punch them up and help me do this and help me do that. And it would be able to get me, get me through another stand-up routine. And then after John Brennan, I went to my other friend John Ballard. And then I reached a phase with John Ballard where I was like, he was helping me write jokes and helping me tag up things. And then my friend Vince Fabro was helping me add tags and do things like that. And eventually, and it took a long time, eventually. I crossed over what you would say the bridge of asses to where I was like able to write my own jokes. Now, I always was taking part of writing my own jokes, but I just I never felt comfortable. I never felt like my jokes were funny enough without working with someone to help punch them up. Mm-hmm. But now I, you know, I really don't work with anyone at all. Once in a while, actually fans will write me messages on Instagram sometimes and say oh I thought you were going to say this here or I thought you were going to do this here or what about this idea here and then I'll go wow that's really good and I'll incorporate that but but I do I write all my own stuff and I'm very comfortable with what I'm writing I can I mean I got a joke in my set right now that's like not a good joke but I've made the fact that it's not a good joke the joke and I just feel very, very good about where I'm at with it. But it, you do have to cross over that to where you're like, I can't keep relying on people to help me write jokes. Now, this was all, you know, 10 years ago or so. So, you know, for 10 years, I have been crossed over this bridge, but it did take me six years mm-hmm. to cross over it.
1: I mean, one might say that, you know, becoming your best self, you have to cross a bridge of asses. You know, you got to fumble along in your youth and figure out what you believe, what you don't believe, what you like, what you don't like. And then you cross over into the mechanical sympathy of knowing who you are and how to exist.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Thank you. Because I've always, I I always think about this because I have a lot of old videos of myself in my 20s. And I also have a good memory to remember who I used to be. And, you know, I was messing around with comedy for a while, but uh, even still, I was, I, I, I desired to be the center of attention everywhere I was at. So I was always loud. I was always loud and talking and making jokes and cussing a lot and being real crude. I thought it was fun to just say like the most outrageous things because that would really make my friends laugh. And I just think how much old me would annoy current me. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he would, he would. And, you know, but I I had to cross over. And for me, crossing over meant quit, quit drinking uh, because the, as soon as I quit drinking, I really kind of like matured real fast and moved into a new era of my life. But I became comfortable with myself finally at, at at thirty years old, I finally became comfortable with who I was. You know, I'd been, you know, I, you know, I messed around with comfort <laughs> up until that point, but I, you know, I would read, you know, meditation books, and 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 I, I read a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which I really liked. And I took some yoga classes and I was drinking herbal teas and, you know, all of these things where I was, you know, reading poetry and feeling like I was comfortable and artistic, but inside, not very comfortable. Mm -hmm. Now I finally, you know, at 30, I started to reach that place.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great.
0: All right, so let's see here. Uh, this weekend, I was in Indianapolis. I went to Helium Comedy Club in Indianapolis. This is my second time at Helium. I, I really uh, feel like I cut my teeth in a lot of ways. A lot of ways, the city of Indianapolis helped me cross over uh, a various bridge of asses because uh, it's where the city of Indianapolis was the first place I ever wore my hat a full weekend. Mm. Uh, I used to do crackers comedy club there all the time. And I, I, I went there for years. I've done gutties and now I've done helium a couple of times, but I did, I did a, a, a theater show there with Burt Kreischer uh, in probably 2019 and, um, And it's like um, uh, Indianapolis has always been a a cool place for me. Um, And I sold out five shows pretty quickly, and then we added a show. And I don't know that that show completely sold out, but it was very close. It was basically six sold-out shows. I mean, we might have fit one or two more people in there, but it was basically six sold-out shows Uh, And it was incredible. It was really a lot of fun. And Helium is a, you know, a a corporation and they have several comedy clubs throughout the country. And I'm told that all of the, uh, like, they put these kind of posters on the tables where we'll have coming soon. What comics are coming soon? You know, like this one has Rachel Feinstein, Kevin Nealon, Maddie Smith, Adele Givens, Trey Crowder, and they'll also have uh, some of their credits listed. And I'm on this card, and uh, I think this is really funny because this is coming out of Philadelphia, and at this point of me coming to the club, I have, now I would not be doing this if I did not sell off the shows because it would seem like I was trashing the club, but because I'm not trashing them. Uh, but I have a, a one hour Netflix special called Working Man. If you've not seen it, go check it out. I have a half hour on Netflix in the standups. I have, uh, you know, several tonight shows, Jimmy Kimmel live. And so, you know, when you read people's credits, like for Kevin Nealon, it'll say, you know, Saturday night live and weeds, uh, You know, uh, Adele Givens, Deaf Comedy Jam, Maddie Smith, Wild and Out. Like these are all big things. Uh, Rachel Feinstein, Inside Amy Schumer, Crashing. What do they say for me? Host of CMA Festivals Forever Country Stage. Mm. (laughs) This was, you know, uh, something I did in probably 2018. Uh, And it's like, that's not even a credit. Even if I didn't have credits, I would not use that as my credit.
1: <laughs> that's just something you popped into on like a Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, it was a daytime thing. It was, it was fun, but not very good. And uh, I just think that's so funny that they use that as my credit. Like, How out of touch are you that you're like, oh, you know what? We're going to put He was the host of... People don't even know what the CMA Festival is unless you're into country music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't know. Maybe I should have been using it as my credit. Yeah, I did maybe you would have got
1: that sixth show sold out.
0: Yeah, I mean, but it's <laughs> like, why would you not put the biggest credit that I have? When I see clubs not post about Netflix, I just think, are you even trying to sell tickets here?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like... I'm not saying just for my own ego here. I'm saying to try to sell some tickets.
1: Yeah, let's work together and push the most relevant, popular platform yeah. that everyone, most people have access to.
0: Right. People are not going, mm, but did he ever host the CMA Forever Country stage? Yeah. You know? Mm hmm. Uh, But it was great. It was a really great weekend. Drew Harrison went with me. It was very good. Yesterday, we went downtown. Yesterday, there was like a big radio convention in town. And uh, my management uh, wanted to know if I would want to go down and do a couple of podcasts. So I was like, yeah, sounds good. But I, I thought they wanted me to come at 1145. So I was like, all right, well, we'll take the family. And So we go downtown and I do these two. Well, first off, we walk into the lobby and this real tall guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I've seen you a couple of times at Zany's, Very funny. And then he goes, do you mind if I get a picture with you? And I go, yeah, sure. So we took a picture and then I was bombarded in this lobby by like middle-aged women, uh, just one after another taking pictures with me. How many would you say it was?
1: I'd say at least 10 or 12.
0: Yeah, never. I never had anything like that in my life. I don't even know if these women knew who I was.
1: I think a couple of them did. A couple of them were just following the herd.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just one after another. I was like, in and, and, and one way, I was like, wow, this is a little much. And another way, I was like, well, this is pretty cool. Yeah. But I was, you know, I'm with my family. We're like on a time crunch trying to get in the elevator. Yeah, we
1: have the stroller, our double stroller with (laughs) our baby and our bigger baby. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But then we get upstairs and everybody was very nice. I don't even know what podcast I did. I was shuffled around. I went and did a meet and greet with another 10 people. And then, uh, I did two five minute podcasts back to back. I was like, I don't even know what these podcasts, they were like financial advisors. And I'm like, and they were asking me if I had financial advice for people and I do. So I was able to share, but, uh, I was like, what is this?
1: Yeah. I asked you, how did it go when you came out? And you're like, I don't even know what just happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were dumbfounded.
0: Yeah. But, you know, they were good. They were very nice. And, um, well, I want to hear about it, but I do have to pee. And then, uh, okay. Well, that's, that's really it. And then we, um, Then we just proceeded to go downtown. We went to uh, Broadway with the family and just walked up and down Broadway a little bit, Uh, just, you know, looking at the bars. It was still a bit early and we don't really have any interest in in making a whole family venture into one of these bars because they're loud and neither of us really drink. So it's like, You can't just like when you drink, it's like if I drank, I mean, I would spend so much money downtown Nashville, but it's like you could pop into a bar, listen to a song or two and have a beer and then move on to the next one. Listen to a song or two, have a beer and move along. And you could just do that throughout the day. That's something I used to do in Charleston and there wasn't even any live music really. We were just bouncing around to bars, but it's like That's something you can do when you drink. But when you don't drink, it's like, what am I gonna do? Either bounce around and eat food at everyone, bounce around and drink a Coke at everyone, or just sit there. So it's hard to just, that's why I like a drinking friend. If I have a buddy with me that drinks, then we can pop in and they can have a beer.
1: We do that, me and you.
0: We do, but I'm saying yesterday we had the kids. We didn't really want to do that. Yeah. So, um, so we just kind of we just kind of cruised Broadway. Went into the Apple Store. I had a couple of things I wanted to get. Now they've switched all the cords from the regular USB to USB C, and I need some new cubes. So we popped in there. Then we went to what I think is the best thing to happen to downtown Nashville. Uh, is the assembly food hall that's been added in. Right there in that area, they have a bunch of shops. They have like a Carhartt that I like. Uh, They have some stores that Hannah likes. They have some escalators going up to the assembly food hall. And then in that food hall is just all these basically local restaurants in a food court area. If you go with a group of people, you could all pick a different spot and then eat at your table together. But it's like, it's not that expensive. It was We went to 11 bucks for a quarter of a chicken, a salad, and one side. I'm like, today in today's world, that's really not that bad. And I was like, this is great. And they have escalators. And Daisy just wanted to play on the escalators. Me and her there's three different sets of escalators. Me and her went up and down, up and down for about an hour. I think we were just all over the place and it was so fun. She had such a blast. She was just laughing and giggling. And then we ate and went home and we found parking for five hours for 10 bucks.
1: Whoever designed the recent changes to nashville in the last five years the food assembly hall all the new businesses and wonderful looking restaurants down there i mean they're doing a great job and other cities should employ them because i go downtown and i want to put on a pretty dress put on my full makeup and i want to spend money i want to get some martinis i want to get some cocktails i want to buy a lot of clothes. I want to dance around. I want to get some dinner. I mean, that place makes you want to be out and about. And that's what I think a good city should do is incur, like, make people want to spend money.
0: Yeah. You know, I was downtown Indianapolis, and I do think downtown Indianapolis is very cool. I think they mm-hmm. have a great thing going. A lot of steakhouses. It feels very fancy down there. It feels... It feels big time, downtown Indianapolis, but there is nothing like downtown Nashville.
1: It's so cool.
0: I I love it. There's now a Hank Williams Jr. bar coming. There's a Garth Brooks bar coming. Kid Rock's place has always been great. Kid Rock's. I mean, it's like there's so many great spots.
1: But the other thing that I think that they're doing right is they're putting in like nice restaurants, like wine bars, martini bars that aren't so like... mm, hokey or honky tonky you know because there's obviously tons of that but then there's also just legitimately like nice kind of casual fancy places which is where you want to go for a nice dinner date or out with some girlfriends like you know so there's there's a whole expanding vibe downtown and it's it's cool i'm going out for a birthday dinner next week downtown and i'm excited
0: Yeah, and I I just think that food hall area is so nice because it's like, first off, there's like public restrooms that you can use, which is like so key for a downtown. There's so many downtowns that I go to. It's like, you know, I had that joke about walking around, uh, not a joke, but I told the story of walking around uh, um, Maine, what was that, Uh, Portland, Maine, where I like- you know I was in a situation where I really had to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And there was no public restrooms. It's like, I, I just don't understand. When you have a downtown, it's like, give us some somewhere mm-hmm. that you know, that you don't have to go in and use a business. And I I think it's really incredible. I love what they've done there. And um uh Hannah had to step away to check on Daisy. Um, I have a couple of emails I'd like to read. Um, I also uh want to talk about um uh well, Hannah had been talking about AI a little bit, so I hate to start this without her, but I just think what's going on with AI is pretty crazy. Uh, There is, you know, for a little while, they were just creating art and creating pictures. And now they're creating like full-on realistic video, uh, which is really crazy. When I was in Phoenix the last time, driving around downtown, they had self-driving Ubers. Like you could order an Uber and there's no one driving the car. And I don't know if that's AI. I don't know what that is. But it's weird that that's happening. And they are talking about, you know, uh, a lot of people are using AI for art stuff. So you're like needing less artists to paint things and draw things for you. And then, um, uh, you know, Uh, You're talking about you were talking about AI and computer programming that, you know, they're they're needing less and less people for that. And then they're even looking at uh, self-driving diesels, 18 wheelers, where it's like, you know, I'm sure we're far away from that. Hopefully we are, but would put truck drivers out of business, which is a major, major employer in this country.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ethically guided uh, people that work in um, AI or you know the sciences uh, across the world have been calling for uh, countries and corporations to pause AI development because it's uh, it's um, developing at such a high speed now. but it's almost like an arms race of like AI development. Um, And many people that have been the creators of AI and people behind some of the greatest technology that we have currently are calling for a pause, but it's basically impossible to enforce that pause because, okay, say the U.S. agrees to pause for six months. Well, China's not going to pause. So while we're out here, you know, reading the headlines of, you know, whatever disastrous stuff is happening across the world, every day that goes by, there are extremely intelligent coders and programmers developing AI and things I believe are getting a little out of hand, but we don't really know what's happening with it. And so I do think that, you know, one day we're just gonna wake up and computers are gonna be um thinking for themselves and um basically having free will and uh and I w- think- will have created them so smart that they will, you know, essentially like a terminator situation. I
0: think AI is demonic. Uh, Yeah. That's what I think. And Mm -hmm. people think it's hilarious that I think that. Right. But I do think that, Uh, and I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but it just seems like, I don't know. I just don't know how it's just like getting more intelligent. I feel like it's just slowly revealing its power to us.
1: Yeah, I mean, even in one of the articles I read was he, he compared it to an Edenic, like Eden situation where it's, um, you know, the question of uh, knowing th- um, the knowledge of good and evil. And humans right now, we don't have the full knowledge of, you know, good and evil and how it all works. But that's what Eve wanted when she was biting the apple. She wanted to know more. And that's what the serpent promised her. She wanted her. to be like God, Right. And so with AI... A.I. is basically trying to recreate ultimate knowledge, ultimate capabilities. And um,
0: especially with uh, with these glasses now that that the uh, you know, you've seen these virtual reality yeah. type glasses where people are able to with their hands select things that they're seeing through the glasses. Right. And then Elon Musk, apparently they have put in Neuralink into one person's brain. Right. So that has begun. So if AI begins to take over computers and people begin to put computer chips in their brains, Mm -hmm. they may be able to just be led by
1: AI. And, you know, so many people are going to jump at that opportunity, you know, like. You know, I have an uncle who's just always loved technology. He was always the first guy to get the Blu-ray. He was always the first guy to figure out, like, you know, computer slides and making photos on the Internet and this and that. You know, he's going to jump at that Neuralink. He's just going to want to be the first on board. And that there's so many people that are just like that. Yeah. You know, and then if they start to have an advantage just in in existing with the Neuralink, then all of a sudden anybody else that, that wasn't initially on board, they're like, well, I don't like not being able to be competitive or competent with this chunk of society. So then they get it. And then slowly you just start to get the holdouts who'd think it's demonic. <laughs> we got to start our own community on an island somewhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's wild. You know, I read, I don't know where I talked about this. I did talk about this somewhere and I don't have enough details about it, but they talk about the movie, The Matrix, that in that movie, Neo is actually the bad guy. And Agent Smith is the good guy. And uh, I want to rewatch it with that mindset to see what's happening.
1: Um, yeah, I love thinking about stuff like that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, I was telling you, like, because you were saying, well, I think that live performance, live comedy, plays, theater will always be important. And I agree with you. I think as human beings, we're always going to crave that live connection. There's something like irreplaceable about that. But there's so much more in your current, you know, career as a stand up that doesn't involve live comedy and what they can start to do now is basically create your twin. They can, you know, chat GTP can just create jokes for you. And, you know, we all laugh at chat GPT right now, but it's getting better all the time. And eventually it's going to be just as competent, if not better than you. And I was saying, for example, if you're a corporate guy and you want to hire Dusty Slay, to, to do to perform you know a corporate stand-up comedy show for you well what if they can just create a live vector of you or a live simulation of you a, a pro a program an ai program of dusty slay and he can do the best most perfect flawless inoffensive corporate gig in your style, your essence, your sound like you, look like you. But they don't have to pay you to come do it. They can do it for much cheaper by just having the computer program Dusty Slay. So that, you're going to lose out on corporate gigs.
0: That's why I don't like when people create anything AI with me. I've never done AI at all. And I don't like when people go, oh, I, I got this this AI program to, to create some Dusty Slay jokes. Right. Because I don't even want that information programmed into AI.
1: Well, what it should be is it should be you um, opting into that so that if you want people to use your essence, your talent, you opt into it and you make money off of it. But right now, and this is some of, you know, this was a lot about what the actor strike was about and the writer strike was um, people getting paid for their work that AI is now able to do. So you should an artists, musicians, anybody creating content that is available online, you should be able to opt in. And get paid anytime anybody programs something to have your voice, to have your look, to write a style of joke like you. And you should be getting paid for that. But right now, there's no opt-in, there's no opt-out. So people are just... Ripping you off, you know, like that's just what they're doing. They're, they're getting whatever they want out of you without paying for you and your talent. But AI is now basically able to twin or recreate your talent. And this is just going to happen across the board. So the problem with that is like, okay, well, maybe we need a little regulation, but is regulation the way you want to go with the internet? You know, what's good about that? What's bad about that? Like, there's a lot of kind of like things to think about. there always is
0: some regulation that you can do without doing full-on regulation. You know, that's like, now that, like if a politician comes in and talks about deregulating certain things... um, there's people out here who will lose their mind and they'll say, oh, you're gonna deregulate everything and now we're all gonna get sick at restaurants. And it's like, well, yeah, you don't have to deregulate food safety, but there are a lot of regulations that are pretty ridiculous. Like someone was telling me recently about building a pool. If you wanna build a pool and say Mount Juliet here in town, um, you can just start to dig. But if you want to build a pool in Brentwood, you have to have a test done. And this test is to find out if there's any limestone in the ground. And you have to pay $5,000 to get this test done. So this guy was telling me that he's like, you know, because we don't really need the test. Once we start digging, we can find out if there's any limestone in there. And they're not saying you can't blast away the limestone. It's just a test to see if there's any in there. And he said the customer he was working with had to get the test done. So it cost him $5,000. And they said, there's no limestone in the ground. And then they got about six inches into the ground digging and they found limestone. So he just paid $5,000 to a government agency for no reason. Even if they find limestone or don't find limestone, there's really no reason for it. Uh, but you're just giving the money away. And that's what a lot of regulation is, is mm-hmm. it's like, oh, in order to do this, you got to give us this money. And you just like things like a hunting license or a fishing license or all of these different licenses that you have Or getting
1: to- a permit for something done on your home. Yeah, it's like- Well, which is what you just said.
0: Yeah, it's like just all of these things are just government regulations where they're making money uh to just keep you in line. Right. But there's some obviously like if you're building a home, you want building codes in place to some degree to make sure that it's safe, make sure that your electrical's safe and that your structure's safe. So I'm down with that. I don't want contractors coming in with no regulations and houses just falling in the ground. But so that's what I'm saying with with internet regulation. It's like nobody wants like nobody wants what happened to YouTube happening to all the internet. I mean, YouTube used to be wild and you could watch all kinds of videos and it was so much fun. Now the YouTube police have come in and go, no, nah, you're not, we're not going to let you have this video on here.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it just like, it's made it less fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, I still utilize YouTube. It's still my most watched Uh, platform, but it's, it's a lot less fun than it used to be. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go. uh, Let's go into a couple of these emails. Okay. Oh, here's one more thing though. Uh, You know, I I couldn't find the comment, but the guy, uh, we talked about the eclipse a little bit on Nate land and we talked and I talked about how I had read somewhere that the last time there was an eclipse that came through America on this particular path, what followed was a lot of big earthquakes down this particular fault line in the middle of the country. And all I was saying was, that's just something I'm gonna be paying attention to and looking out for. And then some guy was like, if, 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 the, uh, if the earthquakes don't come, will Dusty reconsider some of his sources? And I'm just like, what sources do you follow? I mean, what source out there is good? I didn't go out and buy earthquake insurance. I didn't go out and tell other people to buy earthquake insurance. I just heard this, and it's something I'm paying attention to. If you don't want to pay attention to it, that's okay. But it's like, what source do you trust? Uh, You know, it's like every mainstream media outlet has lied to us uh, multiple times. And not, oh, we got that wrong, sorry. Like, just straight up lies. And so, who do you trust? So, but I I will say this. um, If you look up, uh, you know, um, I looked up, I typed in uh, something like schedule errands uh, for the you know after the eclipse or whatever, and and this is what comes up. It says now they're saying that there could be a lot of tourism in your area if you live near the path of the uh, eclipse. So here's some ways to plan ahead: schedule errands and appointments two or three days before the eclipse, fill up gas tanks, buy and stock up on groceries, have several forms of communication, not only cellular. Be sure to check the weather. If traveling in the area, arrive early, stay put, leave late. Now, I just think that's weird kind of preparation things for the sun to be dark for a few minutes. And I just had, I said this on Nate Land, but I I, I, I agree with this. It's like, uh, you know, ancient civilizations, maybe not even ancient, um, you know, a hundred years ago, we might see this earthquake or, or, or eclipse coming across from the northwest to the southeast in 2017 and then seven years later from the the southwest to the northeast making an x right across america something that is very rare to happen but forming an x right across our country we might take that as some type of warning as some type of weird sign especially an ancient civilization would have viewed an eclipse as god darkening the sun you know and it's like I just think it's weird that we just kind of make it a tourist moment, you know, and uh, we're just like, oh, it's just something that happens in the sky. I think it's weird and I'm just going to be paying attention to it. And, you know, I don't know what I'll do any any different than I normally do. But do you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. And I also just think it's good to just not take everything that the government tells you as facts. Right. I mean, I'm not saying be incredulous and cynical and, and disbelieve everything they're saying to you, but say, well, if this is happening and this is what they say is happening. What else could also be happening?
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's all I'll say about it. Uh, I have a couple of emails I'd like to read. This one was sent to me in a while back and I forgot to read it. Um, so, Okay. Subject line is, you think it's weird to have never tried alcohol. Uh, Anyway, um, I do think it's weird. (laughs) I mean, uh, I don't know. It's not a question. It's just a statement that he's made at me in the subject line. But I do think it's weird. I I think it's good. I'm, you know, good for you if you've never done it. But I do think it's weird. All right. It says, salutations, Mr. Slay. On the last episode of the pod which would have been a while back. Hannah and you briefly discussed people who have never tried alcohol.
1: I mean, based on the fact that he opened his email with salutations, he definitely never drank or had a woman.
0: Well, let's, well, let's see. (laughs) Uh, Come on, dude. You both felt it was weird. And Hannah went on to say it's weird for someone to not only never have tried alcohol, but also never know what it's like to be drunk or even desire to try it. I am that weird person, and I'd like to give my side of why I'm that way. I'm 26 years old, and like you, grew up in a loose Christian home in a trailer park in Alabama. Hmm. However, we differ in that I never touched alcohol or drugs. My father had a couple of drinks when he was young, but never drank past that. My mom, on occasion, had some, but not at the house. So I don't have a traumatic childhood reason for my aversion to alcohol. Sounds like you had just had good parents. Yeah, you just
1: had good parents.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, my true reason is that uh, all through my life, I saw alcohol slam down society's throat in TV, movies, video games, in public, and the internet. Nowhere was safe to avoid seeing it. Everyone did it, and those who were too young still could wait to be 21 so they could drink. They taught alcohol was fun, and you couldn't have fun without alcohol. It made me bitter, and truth be told, I still still am. I saw past it. Yes, God gave us alcohol, and it can be good, but rarely it was. Uh, all I was able to see were drunks acting like fools, saying things they regretted, getting into fights, ruining friendships, husbands beating their wives and kids, killing people while driving drunk, being addicted, cheating, etc. The good times people had uh, were while drunk and this uh, still a sin. I don't know. That sentence didn't make sense or at least how I read it. The good times people had had were while drunk uh, is sin basically uh i also know that i have poor self-control and would easily become addicted not knowing when to stop or wanting to i will save myself the hassle i will admit that i have an unhealthy hatred of it i never had a desire to try it and i hope to oh daisy's yelling for us mm -hmm. and i hope to go to deathbed without knowing the taste I've never been comfortable around it, hearing about it, or seeing it. Um, If I see a girl on a dating app with a drink, I pass on her. Uh, I don't tolerate it and view it as very unattractive. Was this the email I wanted to read? (laughs) When I tell some people I've never tried it, uh, they think I'm lying, which gets me mad. Uh, A lady friend of mine is from the Sumi tribe in northeastern India. Her culture vilifies alcohol, and many of her family members have never tried it either. It's a far cry from most cultures in the West, at least. When I graduated high school, we all went to lunch and ordered chicken, as I always do. After I ate it, my mom pointed out that it was called beer-battered chicken tenders. I had never heard of that and quickly got upset that the thought of having consumed alcohol. Everyone just laughed and made fun of me. Fast forward to a few months ago, I realized that I tried kombucha, which has 0.5% alcohol. I only had a couple of small sips, but the thought of even microscopic molecules of alcohol entering my body made me upset again. I know it's unreasonable, but it has made me feel like a failure in my mission to never consume it. I'm still upset about it as I wrote this, to the point of near tears. My plan for this email was to state how it's normal for someone to avoid it, but I realize now I take it to the extreme. Oh, well, I'd rather it be this way than the opposite. Thank you for being you, and God bless you. Um, Goodness. I I, mean,
1: I respect that. I would never encourage someone to drink alcohol. If, if that's how you feel about it, oh, goodness, gracious man, good for you for not drinking it. And don't drink it.
0: I don't think this is the... Uh, I'm glad I read this one. I don't mean to say this is not the one. But there was someone that sent me something about weed, and I thought that was the one. I'll have to find it.
1: Like, he is very righteous in his um, view of alcohol. I mean, alcohol... Generally speaking is a real blight on society. Yes, you can drink it in moderation and it's delightful. Um I think he's very righteous but it also borders on a little self-righteous and a little bit obsessive compulsive.
0: I think so too. Like I'm 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 down with it. Listen, when I say it's weird, I I mean in the context of it is pushed so heavily on us in society that if somehow you manage to grow up in a normal way and not drink alcohol, uh, I think it's weird. But does weird always have to be bad? I don't mean it's bad. I think it's good, good for you. But for me, it's like I've done so many things that I don't know what it would be like to have not done any of those and not have those experiences and be able to look back on them and have some knowledge about it. But yeah, I don't think God wants us getting drunk out here. In fact, I know he doesn't want us to get drunk out here. Um, Having a glass of wine is okay. Having a beer is okay. Um, You know, even a slight buzz is probably okay. But um yeah, I mean, I don't think God wants us out here losing control. Uh, I don't think uh, having the kombucha is a big deal. But I do understand it. But I think this is what Hannah's saying with the obsessive compulsive is that you've gotten so into I've never drank alcohol that it's like you're trying to keep this perfect record going. And that 0.5% of kombucha has now somehow ruined your perfect record. Um yeah, like, I wouldn't worry about it. I just would not drink kombucha again if you don't want to drink it. Kombucha is okay. I've never seen the health benefits that everybody sees kombucha does. Everybody's like, oh, it's fermented and probiotics and it helps your digestive. It never done anything for me. Yeah. I've gone through periods of time where I thought kombucha was good, but overall I'm like, I don't know. It never really seems to do the anything for me. The fact that
1: he said he cried Or was on the verge of tears because he had a little kombucha. That's what makes me think of obsessive compulsive because it seems like an aversion and a fear.
0: Yeah, I think you got to relax a little bit about it. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, And just try to, you know, just avoid drinking alcohol. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, like
1: be cool, man. But
0: beer battered chicken is like, yeah, there's a little beer in the batter probably. And then when it's it's cooked, all the actual effects of the alcohol are cooked out of there. So it's not going to, you're not going to get drunk off the chicken.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have met Christians that won't cook with alcohol, wine, beer, you know, cooking alcohols. And I don't know what to say because I'm like, yeah, I mean, you you cook out the alcoholic content. You're not drinking the alcohol, you're drinking the flavor. And it's all just
0: fermented things. I mean, you can have fermented vegetables. Like essentially the pickles that I made by not using dill are essentially fermented cucumbers. Mm -hmm. There's um, several things. Fermented cabbage is, what is that fermented cabbage? Bach, no. Um, uh, ka, 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 ka. Kimchi? Kimchi. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. It's like all that stuff is for... Soy sauce is fermented soy. And actually, as far as I know, is the only good way to consume soy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would relax about it. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, I hate when I feel like I've been duped on anything, too. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to drink alcohol. And people are like, have some kombucha. Ha, 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 ha. And... I do think it's weird that everybody made fun of you about not wanting to have the beer battered chicken, but it sounds like people are almost... Trying to come at you about it. Yeah. Like why would someone, why would your mom tell you that it was beer battered chicken? Like if she knows you feel this way about it. And parents can do this sort of thing to us. We all think parents are, are always like, we would think that our parents would go, oh, you don't want to drink? Good for you. That's very good. But chances are if your parents drink and then you don't drink, they feel like you're judging them for drinking. Yeah. And maybe you are. Uh, and maybe that's something that you need to reckon with yourself on because you can't be judging people out here for drinking. Uh, And if your
1: parents have had five divorces, maybe they want to drop some seeds to your first wife to get you to get your first (laughs) divorce. (laughs) You know, sometimes there's evil lurking.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is. There is. And it's like, so, you know, uh, I would just try to take it easy. Uh, I do think there was a guy talking to me about weed that I wanted to address, but I'll have to save that for another one. I got one more email I'd like to read. This is a recent one. And the reason I want to read it is because I had no idea that this was going on. The moment I got vertigo, we looked up a maneuver on YouTube and we found what's known as the Epley maneuver and it fixed me. Uh, I mean, I was in bed throwing up. And Hannah did the maneuver to me. And the first couple of times she did the maneuver afterwards, I would throw up. But then it set me right. So here here comes one. Uh, I have been fighting the worst vertigo for about two weeks. After going $5,000 in debt to the emergency room and two visits to urgent care with no help, you mentioned this maneuver that helped you, the Epley maneuver, And I just wanted to say thank you. I'm finally able to function normally. And even if it's only temporary, I owe it all to you. Uh, The timing of it coming up on the podcast was impeccable. Well, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I don't think you owe it all to me, but I I do appreciate it. Um, I'm happy to share that. So I just wanted to share it. For people out here that may be listening, look up the Epley Maneuver on YouTube. It's not medical advice coming from me. I see people on YouTube say this, and I just think that I should say it so people don't sue me. But it worked for me. Um, It worked for my dad. It worked for Hannah's dad. Even the chiropractor that I go see, Uh, He did the Epley maneuver on me as well, and it's like I've heard of people taking vertigo medication and stuff like that, but I've not needed it. I mean, even the other day, I I was was getting a little dizzy around the house. Hannah did the Epley maneuver to me a couple of times, and you know, I felt better. So, um, you know, it's just something to um, to think about. I also want to say. There is a Facebook group called the We're Having a Good Time podcast group that that I'm in. I'm, I'm involved in it. So I'm in it. Are
1: you in it now? Well, I'm in it, but I don't ever go on Facebook.
0: Okay. So it's like if you go on there and start making fun of me, I will see it. Um, but it's yeah, it's called We're Having a Good Time podcast fan page. It's not a lot of people in there. But um, I talked about, we talked about a Disney book pinocchio and we talked about the big book of disney that we have and how it's all so bad and people came into the group and gave us a bunch of recommendations and it was great recommendations um and i appreciate it i ordered a bunch of those books and daisy loves them yes and it's so nice to just have book it's like the richard scary books i already i don't know if it's scary or scary but I already we about to, uh, I already had a couple of those. Uh, I already had one of those, and she loves it. And I don't know why I didn't think about ordering more. But I ordered a bunch, and it's just books with characters, and uh, you know, there's no death and divorce and fun, thoughtful, beautiful artwork. It's really an,
1: a book of really great art.
0: And then Winnie the Pooh uh, and all that, and uh, it's all really great. We appreciate you guys. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Oh, this weekend, I'm going to be in New Orleans at the Joy Theater, Friday night, the Joy Theater in New Orleans, and then Saturday, the Sanger Theater in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My first time ever doing comedy in Mississippi. I'm very excited about it. Join that Facebook group if you want. Our daughter's yelling for us. We're going to get out of here. Thank you very much. We're having a good time.